Welcome back, folks, to ZP the Auto Talent Mindset uh, podcast. I'm here with Chris Molnar, a professional ski cross uh, athlete. Uh, welcome on board. I'm excited to have you here. Hey, thanks very much. Appreciate it. So it's it's funny. I've been doing a little bit uh, the last couple of podcasts. I've been doing skiers, but different disciplines. So um, I'm lucky enough to kind of have a little bit of background through each one. But I was kind of sitting sitting and reflecting on and watching some of uh, your highlights. And I was like, trying to relate it to something. And from the other, po- from the other ski disciplines, I kind of, kind of reminds me of, um, might be kind of a weird comparison, but like bull riding for skiing, because your sport, you have the speed, you have the jumps, uh, you have the, uh, the turns. And then also like you have, you're, you're racing against guys that are beside you. So just kind of like my comparison to compare your disciplines to the other disciplines is like it's like bull ride bull riding to me <laughs> the bull riding of skiing yeah i guess you could say that i mean yeah we usually compare it as like kind of like motocross on skis or something like that but um yeah it's exactly like that and i guess yeah if you take it a step further it's there's a you know racing three other guys it's similar like you never know what kind of bull you're going to get on so you know you don't know what the race is going to look like then it's always something different each each run so yeah it's pretty cool that way yeah, so I'm I'm excited here to learn more. I always like learning more about the sport. Like I said, I've had a couple different ski disciplines, but I haven't had yours yet. So it'll be cool to hear more about that. Um, so I like to like I always tell my uh, my uh, guest here, I was like kind of run on a timeline. So um, can I tell me how you got into into skiing and uh, more so the uh, ski cross avenue uh, on your background? I know you're quite the athlete, uh, uh, a volleyball player as well. So. How'd you end to skiing and how did you end up going down this route uh, in your journey here? You can- yeah. Um, so, I mean, would have started skiing like kind of many other racers did, just kind of got into the sport uh, as an avenue to continue skiing past like your basic lessons, uh, two younger brothers as well. And the, it was just a family sport for us. And uh, I just kept us out of the hockey rink on the weekends, which my parents enjoyed and um, for them, yeah, it was just meant to be a family sport that we could take into our later years of life and which, you know, I hope it is. And, and it's turning into that for sure. Um, we just, as brothers, we just really enjoyed ski racing. We just kind of kept taking it a step further each year. And, um, I ended up taking it the furthest, uh, I skied three years of fists in Alpine. So I did start out in the Alpine discipline of skiing. Uh, that's where I kind of gained my foundation and and learn the skill sets that I've, that I'm using today at, at the world cup level in ski cross. Um, and that's generally the way you find most ski cross athletes go. They generally learn uh, and develop in the Alpine circuit and then come over to ski cross. And that's for a host of different reasons, but mainly just because ski cross hasn't been around that long and hasn't got a development circuit. Um, so generally you need to, you need to build some of your skill sets elsewhere. And then my personal story on. I missed making the Alberta team in Alpine, uh, kind of that great 12 year finishing off high school. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to take some time off ski racing. I hadn't, I'd always been kind of focusing on that with school as secondary. So I said, you know what, I'll focus on school and I'll get some good grades, see what kind of doors I can open up for myself leading into university, um, which I did. And me being me, I obviously filled that skiing void with another sport. (laughs) So I went and played volleyball. Um, made a club team. We ended up doing really well once nationals. Um, and then I got scouted from there 
for a university team and, and was offered a scholarship. So I said, heck, why not? Let's go up and play some volleyball for a year. Well, I'd planned on playing another three, four years, whatever it was. Uh, but uh, anyways, fast forward a year, end of the end of the first university year, and I whether you know I still enjoyed it. I, I had a ton of fun, but um, I just really missed skiing. Uh, I like I traveled like 14 hours for one weekend just for like you know two or three runs of skiing because I just missed it so much that winter and I wasn't doing it enough. So I kind of the writing was on the wall, and I knew I needed to get back into it, and so. I had had a connection with ski cross um, through one of my old coaches, Bebe Zorchek. Uh, his son was actually on the team and, and, and sadly enough passed away uh, in a ski race, actually really bad crashed. And um, anyways, uh, I called him up. He was still involved in the sport and he kind of gave me the run through of how I might enter ski cross. And so I uh, finished my last exam in university, drove you know, the 12 hours, whatever it was back to the mountains, hadn't been on skis in like four months. Um, and, uh, hopped on, hopped on my skis, went out to the tryouts, kind of just like, it was like an ID camp. Um, and the coaches liked what they saw and they invited me back to the next one. And then it was just kind of like, it just kind of kept happening like that. It kept getting an invite back to the next camp, next race, whatever. Uh, by the end of the year, it had a, a four running heat on a world cup course. So, um, yeah, I was kind of off the races at, at that point and um, made the national team the following year. So that was like, I made the provincial team the first year, skied kind of NORAM, which is the North American circuit, plus uh, some Europa Cup um, level races, uh, and then started to find my way onto the World Cup. And you know, now we're here, whatever, seven years later, and uh, I've got a World Cup wins under my belt and a couple other podiums. And yeah, one of the fastest racers in Canada and the world. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> um, so when you decided to go ski crosses, was school put on hold for a bit? Um, well, no. So I basically, I had done that one year university. Um, yeah. I was part of a kinesiology program. So before your program that, uh, I haven't actually finished yet. I've been okay. like taking some courses here and there. Yeah. Um, so basically I finished that first year, wasn't done by any means. Um, in terms of the program, I just went over directly to ski cross at that point. Uh, and I flipped focus and I was like, okay, I gave school some focus. Let me just yeah. try to give ski cross some focus and, and see what I can do with that. And it, like you said, the white, the writing kind of on the wall was still a tough decision to, to make that commitment to ski cross. Did you have to kind of go over some pros and cons and this is just the right thing? Or were you kind of like, let's go give the shot. And if I feel good and the vibes are good, then I'll continue with it. Yeah. I mean, I think a little bit more the latter. I just, uh, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to commit fully to this for a year. I'm going to give it everything I can. One of the biggest things, funny enough, I mean, it's the sport hopefully is never about money, but obviously that's comes into question. And I was like, I want to be able to do this myself. I didn't want to ask for my parents help anymore. I was, you know, 21 or whatever I was 20 years old at that point. So I was like, if I'm going to be able to do this long-term, I want to be able to make it happen myself. So I worked my butt off in a summer summer job just to make enough money to pay for team fees and the, and the summer camps that we were going to. And, um, yeah, it's kind of like gave it everything I had and, and luckily enough, it worked out. Nice. So when I always talk about with, uh, my clients and athletes is, and you're kind of talking about it here, it's just like your balance board. That's, you know, you have like your sports and your career, your, uh, relationships, uh, your personal, uh, health and wellness and, um, you know, high performance athletes, uh, and anyone in general, sometimes balancing your board 
uh, can be very challenging and where you put your time into and your mindset and how much you're giving that sport or that career uh, or whatever part of the balance board you're you're dealing with. Um, so it's it's cool that you recognized early. I'm I'm gonna put you know jump in full both feet and, and go for it. Where some people are you know one foot in, one foot out, and that's kind of I think can be the make or break from going to provincial to national or you know a tenth place finish to a podium finish uh, is what I always kind of say. So it's cool that you've managed your balancing your balance board as best as possible at maybe talk about the challenges of you know being so focused in one area what happens to the other areas or how do you maintain balance in all areas of your uh, life so to speak yeah but it's kind of it's kind of funny you bring that up because it's uh it's been something that i've been ruminating on for a little bit and and whether or not i was, a, I was super aware of it back then or not i mean i've become more aware of it now for sure um, and yeah, I did dive in full and like gave it a ton of energy and, and it did lead to some good success, but I don't think anything you can do in life doesn't come without some consequences. So there's no perfect solution. I think in anyone, like, you know, if, if I'm talking to an athlete now, it's like, Hey, well, let's just sit and figure out where you're at right now. What's going to be the best. Cause there's never going to be like the perfect solution, but there's going to be a, probably the best solution for you right now and what you want to do. Um, so that's always what I kind of ask myself and throughout my career, I've had to give different aspects of my life, different energy and, and have the balance that that boards balanced itself differently, depending on where I am in my career. So, um, yeah, I've definitely like, uh, later in my career as I've kind of established more of a, um, you know, physical, my physical side of things is like pretty dull, but, uh, you know, I've really focused in on that and that's become quite solid. So I don't necessarily need to give that as much energy as I was at the beginning of my career. Um, I kind of know what I need to do and I just go and check those boxes and it gets done. Um, whereas now I'm focusing a little bit more on like surrounding myself with really good people, trying to find that energy around me to be really solid, to make success happen. And, and that's because I've, I've reflected on races that have gone really well and I've been like, okay, what's been the changing factor there? And it, you know, for me right now, it's, I can set myself up perfectly physically, equipment's perfect, everything's perfect, but if I don't have, you know, a good team surrounding me and the energy's not good, I generally, I don't do as well because we're looking for that small 1% difference, like you said, between the 10th and the 1st. So, um, yeah, it's it's a constant like, balancing act as you stay, uh, and it's a lot of reflection um, and just, yeah, trial and error. And if it doesn't work one day, you know, try something different the next day and see what happens. So yeah, kind of, that's part of the fun of it. Yeah, I agree. I agree with what you're saying, and people have to understand that it's it's you're you're learning about yourself, and over time, your values and things cha- change. Right? It's not always consistent, uh, and like you said, that's what makes it uh, enjoyable. Well, I hope I hope so. And anyways, right? That keeps you going on this uh, this yeah. journey and this process. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. I, I agree, and I like what you're saying because it's. I always say you have your balancing board, but uh, this is not a perfect world and it's never truly balanced. It's just, you know, learning from your mistakes and trying to adjust it here and there uh, when you can. Exactly, exactly. So I want to kind of get into, so you, you kind of said you made up, you made your way up through provincial skiing, the national program. So maybe walk us through a little bit of that, but then also uh, qualification process of, how do you get to the Olympics and the circuit and everything behind 
uh, the competitive sport. If you can kind of educate us a little bit on that, that'd be awesome. Like kind of once you're, once you're at the national level or kind of how you make your way up. Yeah. Well, yeah, let's, let's, let's say once you're at, once you're on the national level, the circuit and the point, I know there's like points involved and qualifications to, you know, uh, make that Olympic team. Yeah. So yeah, once you make the national team and there's, it kind of depends on the year, but you know, let's just say for argument's sake, there's about, you know, six to eight guys, six to eight girls on, on the team right now, uh, that are skiing at that true national level constantly at a world cup, um, circuit. And that is the circuit that we ski. So in unlike soccer or some other events where there's like a world cup every, you know, two or four years, depending on the, on the sport, we have a world cup cycle every single year. Um, and that generally races stay similar. We obviously have a few stops that are different depending on the season. Um, but we start off early December and we go till, uh, the end of March and basically anywhere from like nine to 15 stops, uh, on the circuit. So quite jam packed throughout a winter season. Um, and you're just, yeah, you're basically racing a very similar field every single time. Um, but the beautiful thing about ski cross is it seems that like anyone right now, specifically in the guys, uh, in that top 32, which is kind of the top echelon of the sport can win a race. So you don't really know. It's not like, you know, one guy's always winning every single race, every single, um, stop, uh, which is quite cool. And then from there to take it to the Olympics, which obviously happens every four years, we have a qualification process that occurs two seasons prior to that Olympics. So like the season prior to the Olympics, plus the, let's call it three months right before the February Olympics. Um, so we, we have a qualification process that goes out and it's kind of interesting because FIST, so the, inter, the uh, Federation International to Ski that outlines like what countries are going to be allocated for a number of spots. They, they tell the countries, okay, you're going to get four spots and that's based off of how they've done in past Olympics. So generally Canada and in the past, whatever, seven 11 years now or in the past 11 years, I think we've won the nation's cup every for, for seven years. So generally we get four spots guaranteed men and women. So what that means is then Canada can go back and internally be like, okay, how do we, and the interesting thing about ski cross is it's, um, it's under the umbrella of freestyle within Canada. So we actually compete against mobiles, half pipe slope style all those, uh, free cell events. So uh, we don't compete against Alpine, you know, the downhill super G slalom or GS. Um, so we compete against freestyle and the people in the office deal with how they're going to pick that team. It's kind of interesting. It's a very complicated document. We do sign off on it, but honestly, it's like, it is what it is. You're going to try and race your best each race and, and see where it stacks you up. Um, but basically, uh, there's different tiers. And depending on the season, you can enter a tier with a certain result and that will guarantee you to a certain degree, a spot on the team. Um, but in theory, all the way up until that last race, you can be, you know, moving around depending on if the points are quite close, but you will also are taking into consideration how other sports are doing, because that could take a spot away from that four or, you know, whatever spot you get. So again, quite complicated. Me personally, I don't spend a lot of time on that. Um, I, yeah, I didn't, I, I had, even up until that last race, I hadn't really like, calculated the points. I knew it was going to be quite close. Um, like this is coming into the last Olympics. 
Uh, uh, but it's, yeah, it's, it can be quite complicated, but at the end of the day, the faster you ski, the better chance you have of, of making that team. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. I mean, every sport's a little bit different with the qualification process and it's like, it just gives people perspective of how hard it actually is to, to make those Olympic games. Um, you know, you can be the fastest guy here, but like you said, you're dealing against a couple other disciplines, maybe a couple other countries, like there's so much that goes into it, which, uh, it just puts, yeah, puts things into perspective how, like you said, how good or how fast you have, you have to go in order to. Yeah. Like to give you, I mean, I can even, I can even extend on that point. I mean, a little bit, not, I wouldn't call it controversial, but, uh, to give you an extent of how hard it actually is, I won the last world cup qualifying event. So I was number one in the world at that event. Um, it was the last race right before the Olympics. And that still wasn't enough to put me into it, even the fourth spot, just with the way the points were working out. So. Yeah, it's uh, Canada, Canadian ski cross team specifically, I would say, I mean, I would argue that it's probably one of the hardest team Olympic teams to make in the world. Um, so just because we have such a high level of, of competition uh, and any, you know, within those six guys, it's like, it's just moving around so much. So uh, yes, it's quite difficult to make. Yeah, that's crazy. And it's funny, I was watching one of your, your videos and you just kind of hinted on it uh, earlier about to crack that top 32 number like if you go down to the top if you go to the 60 skiers uh in the video you said like it's only a matter of, like a meter to a meter or two between the whole the whole race of guys that's just crazy how like you said how close it is <laughs> yeah that is wild yeah you stick your hand out wrong you're not going to qualify kind of thing so it's uh yeah you fully have to be dialed for that run that's crazy uh so obviously like olympics uh big four-year process and i know like they can talk it's 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 you know it's a difficult process but uh just being on the circuit itself um kind of i was talking about like goal setting you're trying to qualify for something like the olympics four years but also like breaking your circuit down year by year month by month um how do you goal set how do you um you know how do you prepare yourself uh for each race each year uh and so forth yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, generally, Olympic sport, amateur sports, a lot of athletes will say, you know, they'll break it down into a four-year cycle. Um, and I'm no different from that regard. I definitely look at it as a four-year cycle. I find that as a as a nice chunk of time. One, because of the Olympics. I mean, yeah, it's, that's part of it for sure. And as I've not made the last two, it's become a little bit less a part of it. Funny enough, for me, I've been focusing a little bit more on another goal, which is that crystal glow. Um, yeah. And that's arguably probably the hardest medal to win or, or trophy to win in ski racing freestyle alpine anything like that right and that's just because you need to be consistent throughout the entire season and you're the top athlete at the end of the season so for me specifically in this sport because it's so tight and anything can happen and there are things that are really out of your control it's not just like you know you could show up on a day and and be delivering a podium performance but something might happen because you're skiing against three other guys and you might go up first round. So in theory, you could have been that best guy, but just because something crazy happened, the wind was wrong, whatever, um, you're not going to make it through the round. So for me, it's more about if you show up consistently and you're showing performance, um, podium performances that, that to me as an athlete speaks to a higher level, I guess it's kind of a, an interesting thing. Um, so for me, uh, that, that crystal globe is, is what I'm really aiming after and why my video series is called chasing the globe. Um, 
Yes. I mean, we, yeah, we travel around the globe, but it's also chasing the, the crystal globe for me. So, um, yeah, it's kind of from that side, it's kind of interesting. And do you put together like before the season, uh, like some sort of performance plan, uh, you know, to make sure you're meeting certain checkpoints, uh, physically and mentally, uh, throughout the season? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like we have some, like right now, literally like two days ago, I filled out kind of my year end review where I thought I was at. And then the coaches will do the same. It's like a blind, blind review. And then the, the graphs will get overlaid and we'll kind of see based off of my perspective, their perspectives, where, where I was sitting, you know, post season. And, and then every race, uh, we do it, um, a debrief, um, on the one before and just kind of see like what went well, what didn't, uh, things we want to change any, you know, little things like that. And they're not long meetings, maybe 30 minutes. They're just good to have as a good touch point. And it just gives you a refocus on, on what you, what you need to do. So, um, yeah, when you're rolling, when you're doing well, it's quite easy. You just cut set on, which can keep doing what I'm doing when you're not, it's kind of the, the battle between trying to fix too much, trying not to reinvent the wheel and, and just, you know, stick to what you're doing, which was a little bit of my season this year, but yeah, it was uh, overall not too bad. Yeah. And it's, and like, I mean, with technology too, like I saw some video clips, like you guys are, you know, you're watching your race on, on video, uh, how technical, because athletes, I mean, in your sport, but all sports are getting so good and so technically soundly, it comes down to, like you said, seconds, um, so it taps something like you guys now watching video, which, you know, years past, they probably didn't really watch too much. Maybe what was on the screen, what they had, yeah. but now you can dial it right in. Uh, now with some of the stuff, the tools we have. So I saw like, you know, you're watching your video and that obviously, um, I think you guys were going up to run for teaching the, the run and like, where's a good, where's a hard spot, tough spot. I, I know you guys, I don't know the lingo as much, but it's how technical it is. Um, and the conversations you guys have, uh, with your coaches and teammates, um, it just makes for a different dynamic opposed to just going down the hill. Yeah, no, hundred percent. It's yeah, it's become quite technical videos of like one component. And then a lot of teams, including ourselves are starting to play with like really precise GPS units that we'll be wearing. So we can see entry and exit speeds, G forces. Um, and that, that compared, like that overlaid with video is quite informative because a lot of times, you know, you'll come into a section after a steep section and your exit speed off of, you know, a steep section onto flats is quite important because if you're slower, 2k slower by the end, you can be like five meters, right? So you start doing these calculations and you start to really realize how much of an effect these little things have. So yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's part of it for sure. It's easy to get really like to dive in into it too much at times. And sometimes you just gotta go out and ski at, at the same time. So it's, again, it's like coming back to that balance board, figuring out how much you need and how much you don't. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of leads me to like the next uh, question here with regards to, um, how do you maintain, you know, your emotional and physical balance on race day? Cause I know there's a, there's a process to race day with regards to, you know, qualifications and then the next day you're racing. I mean, you'll probably explain it better, uh, here in a moment, but how do you stay, um, emotionally and mentally sound so that you feel, so you're not too high, uh, not too low and you're ready to drop into that, you know, like we're talking about a nice flow state when the time comes. Yeah. It's, I mean, obviously that's, that's the hardest part about sport is bringing that mental side into it on race day, um, or when you need to compete. So 
for me, I just constantly have a little bit of like a few check-ins throughout the day. And I try and, uh, I try and keep the structure of how I do things very similar so that I can, that I kind of come back to it and it seems similar. I'm like, okay, where am I at right now? How did I feel last race? How did that work out? And like I said, like I've done those reviews already. So I kind of know how I want to feel at certain points throughout the day. Uh, but generally I'm just, I, I, for me specifically, and again, it's different for everyone, but for me specifically, I wanted to just try and stay loose. Like I'm just, I'm enjoying it, taking it all in. I'm still working when I need to work, focus when I need to focus. But if, if I focus too much, I'm too serious for the entire time. I just burn out. Um, I'm quite an analytical person as it is. So for me, you know, and to the outside world, it might look like I'm kind of joking around or not really focusing up, but I do have some very intense blocks where I do focus up and that's generally what you don't see on TV. Um, so for me, it's that 30 minute window right before I, I do my first run is when I really focus up. That's, and I've gone through some of my visualization already, but that's where I'll do it to, you know, three or four more times. Um, I go through a physical warm up, and that just kind of like everything's, everything's put in place for a certain reason. And that brings me to a good spot. Um, so it doesn't really matter like where I'm at prior. Um, it, that 30 minute block is really what like, like, narrows me down. That's where I focus. And then as soon as I click into my skis, that's where I just enter like, you know, race and a horse and a race box kind of thing. Like if you could be talking to me and I won't even hear you. Like I'm just focused on that, that next feature, what I'm about to do. Um, and then usually the, the nice thing about ski cross is the day starts to roll. So you just, if you make it through that first round, hopefully you focused up properly, it works out in your favor. You come back up, have a sip of water and you're back in the gates again. So, and you just kind of do that for another four rounds and, uh, um, you don't need to like really worry about where you're at. Obviously, if you start making it into finals and stuff like that, podium performance potentials, that's where you, you generally have to take a, a minute coming and going up the lift or whatever it is right before that race. Just, I usually take, um, where am I at? Just take like a mindful moment and be like, Hey, where am I at right now? Do I feel like I'm confident to run this race? Um, but the nice thing is generally you, you've had three heats that have gone quite well, obviously to get you to this point. So you can kind of just roll off that and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm skiing well, I'm ready to go. Uh, and usually for me, it's about bringing myself down. So I just do some like basic breathing, uh, it's like box breathing or something like that. Uh, it just brings me back down to a little bit lower height and state. Cause it's, again, you don't want to be too high, um, with that. So yeah, it's kind of what I do. Okay. So yeah, just going back off to some of your points, uh, you were saying, you know, that it's not getting too high, not getting too low remaining, you know, in that balanced, can you kind of like, like you're talking about visualization breathing and maybe talk us through some of those blocks where you're more uh trying to stay loose versus focus and maybe um your process to visualization uh, to breathing um maybe do you listen to, to music what some of your walk us through your prep uh before you kind of go down that hill where you really get dialed in like that 30 minute block that i was talking about like what i really do yeah like so even throughout even throughout the day if you know um, if, like you said, you do visualization a couple times throughout the, throughout that day, if you can kind of walk us through your process, uh, when maybe you do things and what that maybe kind of looks like, uh, for you, uh, when you, yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Visualization, um, obviously a very powerful tool and, and specifically in ski cross, uh, was an interesting one for me to kind of develop from my Alpine days. Uh, cause an Alpine, you know, you know, the course, so that course is not going to change. You've inspected it. You've gone through your inspection run, which is just like a very slow, you can't ski it. You can just slide down you look at the gates, count the gates, whatever it is that you're doing. 
uh, sight lines. And so that course is going to be relatively, I mean, plus or minus a few ruts from other skiers, uh, is going to be exactly the same. Whereas ski cross one, the course is quite a bit bigger in terms of line choice that you have Two, there's going to be three other guys that are on that course. So it's going to change every single run. And you don't know, obviously you want to be number one coming into that first turn and, and hopefully be number one all the way down, but you don't know where you're going to be. So maybe a line that you wanted to run is not available because there's another two other guys in that line. So for me as a, as a skiing athlete, I had to really kind of adapt to that. And I was, I played around a lot with my visualization techniques when I was kind of coming up through the sport. Um, but what I've kind of landed on and what I've, what I've kind of come to is I just learned the course quite well. So I spend quite a bit of time on that inspection run. Um, generally I actually do two, one, my first one, I just go through it at a little bit faster pace, still sliding, but I just get a sense for maybe my best sight line that I love and just get a sense, even for the snow, the way the snow feels under my skis, um, whether it's hard, soft, whatever, right. Uh, you get a sense for that. And then I come around again and for my second round of inspection and that's really, really dial in my like sight lines. So I'd actually get into my tuck and I'll be like, okay, this is kind of what I can see at this point in time in this course. And then I kind of visualize, oh, if there's another guy here, what's going to happen. And I usually break it down into sections. So I'll do the start and I just sit in that start section and I look at it and then I try and visualize it. And once it's imprinted in my mind to a degree that I feel very like, as if I could run it right now, then I, that's when I move on and then I move on to the next section when I visualize that section and then I put those, and then before moving on to the next section, I put the two together. And then once I have that, then I move on again. And then, so I basically just like, kind of like build those blocks all the way down the course. And by the time I get to the finish line, I'm very confident with the course and I could run any line that I want. Um, the interesting thing about ski cross too, is we don't have a lot of training runs. We only generally usually get two, sometimes one, sometimes not. Um, so you need to be like very dialed and visualization allows you to really basically run the course without actually being on it. Cause I've, again, I've seen enough of these features. I've been on these courses multiple times for most part. I know generally how it's going to feel. So I actually like bring all of those senses into that visualization. And by the time I get into that first gate, I can ski that course at probably 95% of my, of my top speed. So it's not like my first run is going to be quite a bit slower than my final run, um, for qualification. So, and that is because of my visualization techniques that I use. And yeah, I basically, I'm, I've, I've learned that course at an inspection to the nth degree. I mean, even now you could pick a course, um, from the world cup season this year. And I could tell you like, you know, on jump three, the left side was better take off than the right side. So like, I know these things, um, down to that kind of detail. Um, and so from that side that just gives me a lot of confidence and as well, just leads to a better, you just leapfrog yourself in that when you actually get to those runs, those physical runs, and then you take your physical, what you learn, you apply it back again to the visualization. And then again, you just kind of keep leapfrogging from there. And so race day specifically, like because we generally had a training day and a qualification day already, I already know this course quite well. And it's actually a little bit more of just like going through the motion and just like, again, feeling the course. So it's like, okay, I feel like I needed another training run today. So I'll just go through it again. But some days I feel super confident and I don't visualize as much because I'm like, I know it, I'm good. Yeah. I spend my energy elsewhere. So yeah, that's kind of how I, I use it. 
and I was, I, I like what you're saying. So I was having a conversation with another skier about this as well. And like, I think it's important for like athletes that are listening to you guys talk and kind of hinted on, it's like visualization. Everyone thinks to like see and see, and like, I have to see, see the course, see me doing this. But what you, what you talk tapped into is your sense. It's not all about the national scene. It's about the feeling, the touching, you know, the wind, the snow. I think people sometimes get caught up in the actual meaning of the word visualization when uh to create um to enhance that tool i think you have to bring in all, all the senses because we're not just gonna close our eyes or look down the mountain and, and see that perfect run that we're trying to accomplish uh you have to bring in all the other aspects i think the more detail you bring the more effective the visualization becomes um so i'm just kind of reiterating what you're saying and people are listening athletes are listening to this like yeah, you got to bring in more more stuff or as much as you as much as you can and uh kind of like what you're saying it comes with experience as well like you said now you know all the courses more or less that uh it's a little bit say easier or you don't have to spend as much time um but in regardless it's a very powerful tool especially in the sport um that you guys are doing so i'm just kind of reiterating to people that are listening the importance of i'd say the, the five senses and everything you can bring in to be very to get really dialed in talking about yeah yeah no the more you can bring in the better for sure it's i mean sometimes i'll even make noises if it's like a hard section and i'll and i'll do that in, in my visualization like it seems so silly when you're doing it yeah but it's like at the end of the day it's like well i'm here to win so i don't really care if it's silly <laughs> i got to be because of this so it's, it's yeah it's like the best in the world do it so try it see what happens see how it works for you that's, that's right it. and then kind of going off of that um because the sport is so fast uh and obviously you're prepping yourself to you know to that starting gate and we want to drop into uh, what we know it as flow state or being in the zone where you feel and perform your best when you are going down the course because it's so fast is it just is it just muscle muscle and mind memory like thinking is is gone or are you unconsciously or consciously thinking like I got to get ahead of this guy. I got to get closer. Um, whatever that self-talk may be. Um, yeah. Is it, do you have that self-talk during a race or it's just so fast that you let the, the mind and body take over? Yeah. I mean, each course, each course is a little bit different from a technical standpoint and how it feels on the body. Um, so like some courses you feel like you have more time to think, whereas other courses you feel like everything's happening so fast that you're just like reacting and, and trying to get, stay ahead of it basically. Um, but yeah, it's the, it's, it's an interesting thing with the sport, like the flow state feeling. And, and I, for sure I'd have been in it a few times and when you're in it, it's just like, it seems like you're aware of all those things and you're able to make those decisions, but you're not consciously making those decisions. They're just kind of happening as they should, which allows for like a great performance. And and I guess that's the, that's the pinnacle of what flow state is. And it's, it's not like you're like consciously making that decision to make it happen. It's just, you know, what decision to make. And so, yeah, it's probably one of the hardest things in sport to find or in, in, in life to find, but when it does, it's quite interesting. And, and I think athletes, that's probably what we're addicted to trying to chase. So, uh, yeah, for sure. I've been in it before. Um, and when I'm close to it, you can definitely feel it. And I would say that for me specifically, it's like confident consciousness. I don't know. I guess that's like the best way for me to put it. So I'm like, I'm in a very like confident state 
And then there's never like a second guessing of that, you know, oh, should I make this decision? It's just like, make that decision and I'm going to make it work no matter what. Yeah. Uh, that's when I'm, that's when I feel like I'm the closest to like the pinnacle of flow state. Um, and that's where I feel like that's what I'm always trying to chase. And if it enters into that full flow state, amazing. I just let it happen. Um, but yeah, when I'm confident and then I consciously make decisions, like it, that's, that's when it generally works out the best. And yeah, if you're behind a guy coming into a turn and you kind of know, okay, if he's going to go wide here, I'm going in tight. I'm going to make that pass. Like it's just, I know that door's going to open and that's what's crazy about ski cross is like kind of like, it's like the baseball. It's like, it's like hitting a baseball from a professional pitcher. You have to make your decision before you even let's go of the ball. It's like, how is that even possible? Right. And the same with ski cross. I have to make my decision on where I'm going to make that pass before that door even opens for you to make the pass. So it's like, it's as if I know he's going to go, a guy's going to go further right, further left. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. That's also why this sport has like spectacular crashes because you make a decision <laughs> suddenly that door closes and it's all yeah. over it in that moment. But it's also why, you know, you have some incredible passing as well and some feats of, of true like physical brilliance, right? When going down these courses, I mean, yeah, it's crazy. I even had I had some friends come on our last World Cup course because it was actually at a home at a home World Cup, and and they were like, "Holy shit!" Like it, it's one thing to watch on TV, but like now to be in it, it's like the fact that you guys do this with three other people is just absurd. Like you're you're nuts, basically. <laughs> so yes, so again, going back, it's just like you have to be super confident wherever you find that. That each athlete's different. For me, it's like I said, a lot of visualization. And then I just make those decisions as they come and as they need it. Yeah, okay. I like that. <laughs> and then I, I like what you said, uh, and it's something I've reflected on with uh, some of my guests on the show is, you know, especially if we talk about Olympics, you know, you have that Olympic goal to, uh, you know, make the Olympics, maybe one day um, win a medal, gold, silver, bronze, whatever it may be. But I think I like what you said. It's these athletes, a four-year process, and... Um, you're chasing moments, you know, you're chasing those flow state moments, those moments where you feel so good. And then when you actually get to the Olympics, when you win a a globe or whatever it may be that it is what it is, you know what I mean? It's the, it's obviously amazing, but it's those little moments that you guys, I think are chasing to get there are like, that's what, you know, that's the bread and butter. That's the, that's the good stuff where winning those, big championships that's maybe just a cherry on top but yeah i find um the athletes are are just chasing bonus and it yeah. keeps them keeps yeah. them going it keeps them going right yeah i think so for sure it's like the olympics is kind of the thing as a kid that you go after and, and that's probably why you started the sport um but then yeah when you're in the sport you're realizing what it's all about and yeah like you said it's it is those moments it's just those small little bits of brilliance and <laughs> Sometimes it's like that, those are the things that people are never going to see or never going to talk about again. But it's just like it, it's it's quite an addictive, and it feels very cool to experience something like that. And you're like, wow, that I I set myself up on today to to enter that state and to feel that. Like that's what I want to try and do again. Yeah. So that's yeah for me specifically. Yeah, it definitely keeps me going. That's why I love the sport. So I'm going to kind of flip the scenario here. Uh, you know, obviously you want to feel good, perform good. But I was watching a clip of yours uh, that you posted, and you were talking. You were very. You used the word frustrated. I was very frustrated. I got uh, knocked out the first round, two races in a row, uh, and then you go off to say, you know, people tell me it's all part of the game. It's all part of the game. 
Uh, and you're like, I'm trying to, you know, trying to, you know, feel that or uh, understand that. And it's funny, you're talking and I'm watching you and the look on your face was, it, you were, it, like you said, so so frustrated, even though you're trying to grasp that concept of it's all part of the game, quote, you know, sort of speak. So going back to the other side, when you miss a cut or when you're not performing your best and you're frustrated, how do you rebound? Because you guys have such, um, so many races in a season, or even if you do make a cut, but it wasn't necessarily your best, how do you get that confidence back to go race again? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of like every athlete is a little bit different for me. Um, it's so building a process. I've talked about this many times before. That's where I get a lot of my, a lot of my confidence is building a process. And what I mean by that is literally everything that I do on a day-to-day month to month, year to year basis. And that, whether that's that four year cycle or just the season that we're kind of in, um, it's those things that build the confidence to get me to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm ready to race and ready to win. And where that frustration comes out is when I'm like, I know that process is going to make me win. It just didn't work today. Yeah. And again, it's like in ski cross, it's, there's so many different reasons why it might not work. It's not like a swimming race where you just weren't fast enough today. And that's going to, that's going to lead to a different level of frustration for an athlete. Whereas like some guy might've just cut me off today or my ski might've just blown off for no reason other than it just hit a bad bump. Um, so in ski cross, yeah, there's a lot of like external factors that can lead to like poor performances or good performances. You need a little bit of luck on your side, but again, you don't have control of those things. What do you have control of? You have control of how you set yourself up to race on that day. Um, so yeah, I have frustration. Obviously I'm there to win if it doesn't happen. Uh, like I know exactly what it was. You're talking about Sweden, uh, Idra Fial, one of our biggest races, uh, of the, of the year. And, and yeah, this season, like I was out first round, uh, both races and it was like, I don't come here. I come here to race four rounds every single race. Uh, that's what I want to be doing. And, and it didn't happen. And I was like, I was skiing well, I was qualifying well. My, like, again, I, I mentally in the gate felt super good. Visualization was going really well. My nutrition was there, you know, body was feeling good. Skis were fast. So it's like the process was there. I did everything I needed to do. I checked all the boxes, Yeah, still didn't work. So that's where it's frustrating, but yeah. Again, that's like, if it was easy, everyone would do it. And it is frustrating. And that's almost like the frustration. You can either let it lead to, I'm going to give up or you can let it lead to like fire your butt up to go do some more, like wanting a little bit more. So yeah, for me, I, when, if I ever get to the point where it's like frustration leads to, I don't want to do it. then maybe that's a sign I don't want to do it. Right. But when it's at the point where I'm like, I'm frustrated, I want to win. Let's go back and figure out how to make it win. Yeah. Okay. I like that. I like how you put that into, pers- into perspective and context uh, for you and, you and your sport. That makes uh, a lot more sense. And like you're saying, uh, I was take words, you know, what words actually mean are different for everybody. Like you said, frustration seems like a negative word, but like you said, it maybe it's just like, let's get my, let's get our button gear. Let's, let's take this up a notch. Um, even like I had one athlete, you know, frustration can sometimes mean you're getting really close to making a breakthrough, right? You're getting uh, close to what you need to accomplish, but there's just a little more, a little more mud you have to truck truck through. So, uh, you know, words and meaning and what they mean to you and how you handle them uh, is different, but important because like you said, if it comes to that point where you're not having fun or 
you know, your results are consistently not where you want them to be, that we have to, uh, you know, switch something up or change, change, uh, in plan for the process, uh, like you kind of talked yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I guess even further, like that's probably the hardest part is when you're frustrated and stuff's not working out is you want to change everything. Cause you're like, well, that has led to, like, it feels like the world ended when you didn't make it. But it's like, again, in our sport, the difference between first and last is so small. So yeah, you don't need to change everything. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. It's like, okay, let's just go back. Let's, let's analyze why that race didn't work. Is there a small little thing or was it just something out of your control? And you're just going to have to be like, okay, that was what it was. And we're going to go back and do it again. And I might do the exact same things next week and it's going to work. Yeah. So it's, that is very difficult to do as an athlete to trust. But again, that's for me, again, I go back to my process and it's almost like I heard Kobe, he was like, he's like, I signed a contract to myself at the beginning of the season. This was what I was going to do to make it happen. And he's like, I'm not wavering from that. And so I think that helps. It helps like to get you to success, but when success isn't happening, it almost helps to be like, no, this is what I committed to doing. I know it's going to get me there. I committed to it earlier. I signed off on it. Let's just, I'm just going to keep going back to that. Right. So I like that. <laughs> That's cool. I like, I'll uh, have to uh, make my mental checklist uh, for my stuff. And yeah, I like how you referred to it as a, co- as a contract uh, and kind of dials them in a little bit, a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so my last kind of question before we wrap things up, and kind of hinted on it earlier, earlier on, um, is yes, you're an individual sport, but you specifically are working really hard on creating a team of people around you um, to make you feel the best and perform the best. Maybe talk about um, what that means to you, what maybe some of these people do for you now uh, to make you, you know, the best athlete uh, and best person uh, that you that you can be, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So ski cross specifically kind of interesting, like you said, is an individual sport, but we do travel as team Canada. So we travel like as a team and you see us operate as a team, but on race day, when we're in the gate, even if you're like actually at the last race, I was beside three other Canadians, which never happens, but we were. And it was like, I was trying to beat them. They were trying to beat me. It was like, you know, we're not holding back. That's like, we're going to race fair, race hard. But at the end of the day, who's, who's the best guy? Um, and then, so that's part of it. So that, you know, team Canada, I obviously look towards certain people that like give me energy, people that I can kind of go to, to talk to whatever it is. Um, uh, but oftentimes uh, you need something a little bit more. And that's, again, it's just about building those relationships, even outside of the, uh, outside of team Canada, whatever it is. Um, and they don't necessarily need to be people that are around all the time for me, but just, you know, my parents are a big, uh, a big energy, um, for me and I, I talk to them usually before every race just kind of like it just for me that centers me quite well and they kind of bring me back to where it's like hey you just started this for fun like go out and have fun yeah yeah so it's like that brings me back and again gets me out of that like really hyper focused state too early um which i know i can do by myself quite well uh people like my girlfriend just you know just nice to have like a like a touch point outside of the sport because again it's like you said go back to that balance board where what do you need to in your life to make yourself happy and I started to really realize that this year um and i that's kind of what i've reflected on at the end of the season here is that energy that i surround myself with is super important for me to find the difference between making it through those first two rounds versus not uh and going to it like a podium performance so if i feel like i'm in a good state the rest of the world can be like going to shit. we can have everything not working like 
Um, like to give you an example, last race, my family was there, friends were there, was at my home club. This is where I grew up skiing. You know, like incredible energy that was there surrounding that race for me specifically. You know, like there was a cutout billboard of me on the side that kids were taking pictures with. We were signing autographs like crazy. You felt like a superstar, right? And it was like, wow, I used to be one of those kids and now I'm here racing in front of them. Like I took all of that in and I was like, wow, it feels really cool. And I'm, I'm glad I'm, I'm super um, honored to be able to do that for them. And my, and the, the other side of this was my boot bag didn't show up. So Air Canada lost my boot bag for this race. So luckily I travel with my ski boots because it's probably the hardest thing to get. And I had my race suit, but every other piece of equipment from back guard, helmet, gloves, socks, like underwear, like everything that normally I would have was not there. And so I had to piece it together from like other athletes on my team and, and whatever, but went and bought a couple things, but you know, stuff felt weird on race day. My race suit didn't fit the same. I didn't have like the same protection on. So again, it was like, well, why did I still have one of my best performances of the season at the last race there? And it was because not because of like all the other shit that was going wrong because I focused on the energy that was surrounding me at that race. So yes, I think it's just about being aware of where you're at as an athlete, depending on where you are in your season career, whatever. Uh, and then just building out those energy systems around you, whether it's energy takers, energy givers, uh, it's yeah, each person's going to be a little bit different. And for me, it's yeah, just surrounding myself with positive energy seems to lead to good performance. That's awesome. And, and I always say, you know, people come in and out of your lives, like you said, energy givers, takers for different reasons, um, and you know, lessons to be learned, uh, all around, but, um, no, nonetheless, I think you kind of wrapped it up. You kind of took us on a, on a journey here from start to finish. And, you know, I appreciate you coming on and kind of just summing it up is like, like you're talking about that balance board, you know, finding where you put your energy, um, you know, who you surround yourself uh, with and, you know, committing, signing that contract to the process um, are just things that are so, so important if you want to um, perform at an elite level, like such as yourself. And I always take it even to the real world, you know, um, if you have a career, you know, a relationship, like these things are just so important and I'm glad you've kind of touched on, touched on everything, which, um, has been, I've learned, I'll learned, uh, quite a bit and I'll take some of the tools you have with me in my own, uh, my own life and my own, own journey as well. So Chris, thanks again for coming on and, uh, I can't wait, uh, for the next season to come. I'll be, uh, following along, uh, lastly, I just want to say. Your YouTube channel, I've uh, follow along. If people want to follow along with you, chasing the globe, um, here you've gave us some more context to it. So people who are going to listen to this, uh, if you want to follow along with Chris, um, social account uh, and YouTube channel, I, I highly recommend. I enjoyed uh, the videos um, as well. So Chris, thanks for coming on here. I appreciate it. Hey Ryan, well I appreciate it, man. And uh, yeah, I think what you guys are doing here with the podcast is pretty cool and, and giving. Well, it's kind of similar to what I'm trying to do with the YouTube stuff. So just give people yeah. an inside view as to what we do. And, and, uh, yeah, I guess even further, if you know, you have some of your listeners that reach out to you and want to get in contact with me, feel free to, to send them my contact info. And, uh, but yeah, like social media is probably easiest to be honest. And I, yeah, I appreciate the time and, and the questions. I love chatting about this stuff. So, wow. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you, Chris.